our academic education actually ends at university. So probably around the age of 21, 22 for most human beings, unless you go and do doctorates like me and finish in your late 20s, right? Um, but we finish at that young age and then expect that academic education to get us through the next five or six or seven decades. It's ridiculous. It, and sure, you'll get some professional training, but who the hell is training us to be humans? Who the hell is training us to be in harmonious relationships? Who the hell is training us to create just bonds of oneness, collaboration, partnership, empowering each other, speaking to people's greatness? It's not taught. And that, that is where this whole industry of personal development, which is as large as any other mainstream industry, has now is now exploding because people are seeing that these hard skills through academia and our professional lives are falling short and relationships are falling apart. And this human-centric approach where we see the spiritual being is actually needed and urgent and important. Hello, family. You are listening to Concrete Pastures. I am Nancy Mulemwasisi. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a platform to reach out to my fellow immigrants and dreamers. The goal is to provide a space for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We discuss issues that are important to us in the diaspora. We celebrate the joys, the laughs, the bravery that being an immigrant brings. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We appreciate your support. To all of our new listeners, welcome to the family. As you listen, please continue to support us by clicking the subscribe button. Leave us a review. We love hearing from you on all of our platforms. Our guests love hearing from you as well. Let's support them by following them on their social media. Send them a message. Let them know what resonated with you from their story. A huge shout out to FMG Radio for continuing to give us visibility on their platform. On today's guest, I'm so excited to have her on. I I have experienced her privately and I couldn't wait for you guys to experience her. I sat down with her husband, Ronnie Rich, the first episode this season and we spoke about her a little bit, but oh guys you're in for a treat i can't wait for you guys to hear this episode but before you listen to this episode i want to leave you with this question and hopefully you can answer it by the end of this episode or whenever everything digests when you hear this who am i Let's meet our guest. Her name is Dr. Ambika Samprat, a director at Feedbanker, a global online health transformation 
platform committed to eradicating lifestyle disease and transforming a billion lives. Dr. Ambika leads the coaches program as well as the healthy relationship program in Fitbanker, committed to human beings unleashing their unlimited potential. Previously at Ackman, a pioneer in the impact investing sector, she managed to partner engagement across Europe, resource mobilization, and revenue generation across multiple sectors in developing markets. Dr. Ambika has a doctorate in obstetrics and gynecology. She was born and raised in Zambia, a global citizen who has lived across four continents and delivered numerous talks on international platforms across multiple geographies on health, investing, and leadership. Her legacy is love and the core essence of what it is to be human. Welcome, Dr. Alcabran. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Nancy, for the introduction. I am doing great. And it is such a small world where you are sat uh, on the other end of the planet, across continents. uh, And yet what connects us is (laughs) an identity of Zambian. And I just, I am really excited about today's conversation and just what there is to unpack and share. I am so honored, Doctor, to have you here. I've been looking forward to this conversation because it's it's a well-needed conversation. But before we get into it, I just want for all of us to get to know you a little bit. You are from the homeland. You have a different experience, obviously, than I did. So just uh, tell us a little bit of how you got to travel from Zambia. What was your experience in Zambia and how you got out of the country? Yeah, sure. So I was born and I lived here till I was 15 years of age with my parents. My dad was in the mining industry and with, gosh, 70 or 80 other um, families from India or from the UK, he was hired as a brand new, fresh graduate uh, from engineering universities, brought to Zambia and really were working in some of the largest copper mines in the world. And most of these families were newlyweds or people with toddlers. And so we grew up in a really large community of expatriates, of mining industry that dominated and led, was the leading industry in Zambia back in the 70s and 80s and most of the 90s. And it was just amazing. You know, I, I wouldn't, in many ways, it was living like uh, a living a life of privilege. We, my husband would always joke, and my husband born and raised in Zambia as well. Well, not born, born in Tanzania, but raised and lived all of his life, most of his life in Zambia. And he'd always joke about how the Zambia we both grew up in, even though we shared common circles of friends, um, had very different experiences. And he's third generation Zambian, so he's been here for multiple generations and comes from the business background and entrepreneurial background. And uh, he would often joke and say that the Zambia I experienced wasn't really Zambia. I was in such a bubble. And sure, we had great memories and traveled across the globe and a life of luxury. But he said, by no means was there immersion in Zambia as it was or as it stood. And I guess everybody gets to experience every nation or every community from their own different perspective. And uh, I did go to boarding school in India 
in my uh, basically as soon as I hit secondary school, which is very much the norm in the mining industry. Once you got to grade six, around the age of 10 or 11, you were sent to boarding school. And at that time, secondary education options were very limited here. So India, UK or US were standard place people go to. And it almost was this this age you so wanted to get to, to get into the boarding school crew and feel like you were cool enough to travel alone without your parents. And India was amazing. It was just, I really got to discover another identity, which was Indian. And yet my heart always said, I'm from Zambia. And to study India, to study the colonial era, the history, the just so much about the country and its tradition and its culture was amazing. And whilst we would go to India every year, uh, because my grandparents and extended family were there to understand and study about that land which has just so much depth and history um, was was a great privilege I left India came back to Zambia um, and then my parents relocated to New Zealand and uh, New Zealand was almost where I got to discover growing up my late teens to early 20s and it was just I think the first time ever, and I don't know if it was from studying in India and studying about colonization and studying about discrimination, somewhere there was some subconscious seed planted around the difference between human beings. Ironically, growing up in Zambia, I didn't quite experience that. I experienced a rainbow nation where we had friends from every ethnic background, every ethnicity, every different culture that would come to our birthday parties. We'd have classmates, we'd sit next to them. And going to New Zealand, which is, let's get real, one of the most friendliest nations on the planet. But as a 15-year-old, there was some subconscious fear planted. I don't know where it originated from, probably even movies and media, of racism. Of I'm going to a white nation and I will be segregated against. And uh, I didn't quite experience that, but that fear was very real of going to, quote-unquote, the experience of living in the West, even though New Zealand is on the other end of the world. But um, that that concern, that fear is is scary for a 15-year-old. I can laugh now, but in my I went there for my final year, final year of my A-levels, and I would have some people who were just amazing, like real scholars in my class, actually ask me genuine questions around how did I get around school? How did I get to school? Did I um, commute on elephant backs or did I get there on lion backs? And so I had classmates who genuinely come to me and ask me, how did you get to school? Did you get there on an elephant back or did you ride lion backs? And initially I thought people were just joking, but they actually weren't. These were questions people had about meeting somebody who's coming from Africa. Now this is in the late 90s. This is pre-social media, pre-Facebook, pre all the all the platforms we have in this day and age, right? Um, but it also was an eye-opener many years later to the danger of a single story where TV, news, media show one version of an entire continent with 50 plus countries as uh, something that's ridden with poverty, right? Um, I had somebody come up to me and say, hey, your English is really good. And they were surprised <laughs> at the notion of somebody coming from Africa being able to speak English. And at that age, I couldn't tell whether they were complimenting me or whether it was a diss. I mean, you're a late teen, new school. There's so many other anxieties and you kind of just ride the wave and and just feel happy somebody speaking to you, for God's sakes. But it was um, 
I, th- I guess later on, I really got to see how people have no context of the world because all they get exposed to is what media shows them. And with charity drives and the National Geographic or other TV programs and movies, what gets painted off a nation sadly gets reduced to the perspective of the lens or the director. Um, when in reality, we were living in much more luxury in Zambia than we were in New Zealand. Yeah. And so there was just so many myths debunked just in that transition. Where at the age of 15, we are, I am discovering washing our own dishes and cleaning our own toilets. And I was like, oh my goodness, what on earth is this? And all very important life skills, right? So, but when you're not exposed to it, you're not. And why I mention it is simply because the the irony in all of this is the perception of what Africa or African nations or Zambia represent and what lifestyle they represent, which always, almost always is in the context of lesser than, deficiency, poverty, developing, third world, and no, it's not. And uh, that was a big realization I had. And um, from there, I guess the universe kind of said, all right, you've lived in your parents' nest for long enough and let me take you under my wing. And unplanned and not at all in my pipeline dreams, I got to then move to Australia on my own and then London where I've spent the last decade Purely one was my Australia was to pursue my doctorate in gynecology and obstetrics. My supervisor moved in the middle of my PhD from uh, New Zealand to Australia. And even that wasn't planned. So I've done a year of my PhD when you basically optimize everything. And then he gets offered this unmissable director position in this big gynecology hospital, this pregnancy maternity hospital. And uh, he moves and offers me a scholarship and I move along with him. And then London was where love took me my my boyfriend then and husband now we've been doing six years long distance uh had moved there from zambia and after my phd my dad who comes from a super conservative traditional family where you only ever have arranged marriages and or meet your life partner on the day of your wedding or engagement and my incredible dad said you know what you've been dating or seeing this person why didn't you go to london and just I guess, go there and, and see if there's compatibility. And it was a one month plan. And uh, and then that's it. It became home for like the next 10 years. We got married and now we have two little ones. And then yet again, the universe throws in its cards. Lockdown happens. And we get uh, swirled back to Zambia where it all began. Came to meet our in-laws and never got to go back home with lockdown, flights suspended, borders shut. And we've been here now for almost two years. So much to unpack there, because <laughs> I can definitely relate to you. When I first came to the U.S., there was so much culture shock for me in terms of lifestyle. And people, when when we tell people, oh, I, I'm doing babysitting, I'm cleaning, I'm cleaning houses, the perception is it's very light cleaning. So for me, in my head, when I came, because I was just, I came straight from high school, and I came here and it was like, okay, um, it's going to be like Mrs. Doubtfire type of cleaning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was exactly what I thought. And then I get a job. It's five kids. It's a big mansion, like from Home Alone, from Home Alone even bigger than a Home Alone movie. And 
the kids are from six six months old to all the way to um, uh, seven years old, I, I believe the girl was. But the shock, the first day I got there, I felt, I was like, okay, all of a sudden I'm now a, a servant. So I get there, they, t- they tell me to serve them dinner. I remember back home, I'm like, oh my God, my mom has two maids that were serving us dinner. And the lady uh, tells me, oh, you got to sit in the kitchen to wait for us to, pe- uh, to come and collect the plate. I, I, I died. I think part of me kind of like died in there. I'm like, oh my God, this is my new normal. And I started anticipating what I was going to be doing with my life. I'm like, this cannot be my life. I cannot be signing up for this. I'm young. I don't know how to clean a house this big. <laughs> So when you are talking about um, for the, you guys for the first time cleaning and not being served and all of that, like the perception that is given of Africa, like Nigerians have big mansions. Zambia now has like amazing, beautiful houses that I see all the time. Like the infrastructure is much better. They, there's so much. So I'm, I'm, I definitely can relate to a lot and so many people are going to relate to um, everything that you've actually said. Six years apart with, with your husband. Oh my God. How was that? Could you just dive into detail? <laughs> I cannot imagine having a long, a long distance relationship for six years. How was that? So firstly, it was never intended to be six years. If either of us knew that six years, somebody said, here's your future and you're going to be part for six years. I don't think either of us would have stayed in it, which I think is at times the beauty of not knowing what the cosmos or the universe has in plan. So I was doing my master's. He was in Zambia. I was going to finish my master's in what, like a few months time or in just under a year. Mm. Um, and then we hadn't figured out what next. We were kind of like, okay, we'll kind of go with the flow. Um, And then I started doing my PhD. The PhD story is also interesting because it came from the sense of, I don't know enough and I'm not ready enough. And I, what the hell am I going to do out there in the world? So let me just study more to become more and accomplish more and feel like a somebody. And so the PhD came into existence, right? Uh, And I loved my, my line of research. I eventually, like, it was brilliant. I got a distinction in it, the discoveries, the findings. It was just, it was extraordinary, but truly Nancy, the driver was feeling not enough the sense of just deficiency and not belonging, right? And as a kid growing up in Zambia, you, whoever was asked, it was either, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was either doctor, engineer, accountant. Yeah. I don't know if there was anything else. Those are probably the most popular categories. I remember saying that. And, <laughs> yeah. And many, many of my family friends who've grown up in Zambia have indeed become doctors. Many have become engineers. Many have gone into the finance industry and now probably branched into other industries oh. because the option is there. But for me, it was like doctor, except when I finished my A-levels, it was like, oh my God. And I understood what medicine entailed. I don't want to sit by the bedside of sick, pe- sick people. That's so not me. And then this whole forensic science and clinical research and clinical studies came out and started looking really sexy and great. And I was like, let me do that. It's only three years and, and I'm out of here. Except after three years, it's like, what can I do out there? Let me do my master's. And then my friends are like, really? You're going to do master's? And I so wasn't like the academic type or the one that would study if it was like a choice of studying and hanging out with mates I always chose the latter right um, and I think it was only when I was doing my masters did I learn how to study to go from from like A's B's C's on average 
in my undergraduate year to then getting straight A's and distinction and then putting in hours. I don't know how I discovered uh, those hours. Uh, and it was just amazing because there was no distractions then. My mates had all graduated. And then to get into my PhD and discover a passionate way of existing was amazing. Mm. And having said that, there still was this trap of the identity and the title. Like, yay, I got the doctor title. And it lasts for a few moments before the sense of, wow, I'm not there yet, comes in, comes into play and comes into existence. And, and that is, that's a real big realization um, and a real big internal dilemma that many of us face, which is you get the job title you seek, but then there's still a sense of emptiness. You, you get the, the promotion you seek and there's still an emptiness. You go to the country you think will solve all your problems and there's still an emptiness. You get the identity, the appearance, the clothes, the car, the status, the relationship, whatever, right? And there's still an emptiness because we're actually seeking fulfillment and completion and validation in all the wrong places. And that was, I think, one of my biggest ahas and discoveries in the last decade. How did you get there? Like, um, how did you finally realize it's like all my titles are, yes, great, but they're not who I am? How did you get there? Because it's a lot of us are still searching for that, to be honest with you. And getting there, uh, maybe you can help us on how you got there. Maybe we can relate a little bit. Oh God, it's been one hell of a journey. So um, I thought the peak of the mountain, like the peak of Everest was actually getting the doctor title and God, was I wrong? Because right after that, I was like, man, I still feel like a nobody. Because the salary as a postdoctoral research fellow then back in 2010, right? And I got a job in like the leading obstetrics facility in London, it's in Thomas's Hospital at King's College, right? So it was a big win. And it was like a... It was a contract that kept getting extended across a period of a year. But the salary, when you've just done your doctorate and come, was a fraction of what a graduate gets when they enter the finance world, right? And I couldn't get my head around it. And just along the Thames, beyond St. Thomas's Hospital, was all the big uh, finance homes, the big four buildings, and J.P. Morgan, where Ronnie, my husband, was. And to go there all the time and see these fresh graduates, earning double or triple of what I had, having studied 10 years more than them, felt so deeply unsettling. And I was like, ah, I know, I'm gonna go get an MBA because that's valued more in London, right? Thank God I didn't, right? Thank God I didn't. But I was that close to going and applying for it. And Ronnie was looking to do it. And then thankfully we spoke to some amazing people who were like, you're already there where people want to get to after having done an, uh, an MBA. So somehow that that deep sense, that deep quest to find more got parked from the academic space, but then we delved into the leadership, personal development space. So from spirituality with organizations like Chinmaya Mission to personal development, which happened really intensely and rigorously with platforms like Landmark and then um, Unleash the Power within Tony Robbins and several others both Ronnie and I really delved into the deepest end of those discoveries. And it was a real journey. And it wasn't like we held hands and jumped in it together. I, uh, I stumbled upon the personal development work with a great friend, mentor, colleague, 
who I just I met and I just loved him instantly. Started to discover Ambika in new ways, and he was like, "Go and do this program called the Landmark Forum." So I go and do it. It's three and a half days. On the final day, you get to invite your friends and family. I invite Ronnie. This guy's coming as vice president of JP Morgan. Thinks he knows everything. And he's like, man, what are you doing here? This is like Jerry Springer. It's a hall full of like 200 people, right? And then he hears people going to the mics and sharing what they got from the weekend. And people are like, hi, and they've had breakthroughs. And I bring seven guests. And he's like, oh my God, whatever you guys do, do not get sucked into sign up to stuff like this, right? This is just like Jerry Springer style. And you guys are all good. Anyways, what happened at the end of the night, nobody signed up, thanks to Ronnie. None of my friends. uh to the program because it was an invitation to join the next program except for him he signed up he lost a bet and uh and he ended up doing and entering the personal development world uh kind of kicking and uh, on the back foot just having lost a bet but it it you know the universe works in the most amazing ways and uh, it was the beginning of our unbecoming and letting go of all the identities we thought we were and all the fears that kept us trapped in the past to really step into a space of the freedom to be when you get so comfortable in your skin and start discovering ways of being just being it's so liberating nancy and it's it's something you want from for every single person in your life and truly we became we were in the face of everybody in our life guys you got to do this it's amazing and for some it's confronting and for some they did lean in and participate and do the programs and really caught the shift in their lives but um that was our journey and i think even through that journey what i discovered nancy is to the degree that we get disconnected from our authentic self which happens in our formative years by the way to yeah. every human being right where if you look at toddlers you look at my 2 year old they're full of light there's a fearlessness in them they command love wherever they go it's mm-hmm. so refreshing to be the company right but then identity gets formed it, up until the age of 2 there is a identification of oneness with a mom and then the more you call them by the name right the more you say ambika 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 after a certain point self belief is triggered which is ambika is me i am a separate entity an identity gets created right and from that point onwards you are an individual me my toy my brush my spoon my my spoon my fork it's all this identification and personalization so that departure from your authentic self already authentic self already happens in formative years and then on top of that you experience um at times being shouted at or be be you get picked at or get bullied or get left behind or don't come first in class or can't run as fast as another person whatever the world of comparison totally starts to kick in and in that space every human being is left feeling deficient i am lesser than and to cure that deficient mindset we go on to become somebody more than what we are consistently for the rest of our life in our relationships in our health in our job titles in our businesses in our career except that fulfillment never comes and likewise when we started this leadership journey and personal development to the degree we had drifted from our core you have to swing to the other end like a pendulum you imagine if you hold it to one end and release it yeah. it will go to the other end to the same degree it oscillate 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 until it eventually gets to the core and that's pretty much what the journey of self awakening is which is once i got this new found confidence to just be and show up in rooms it was liberating 
However, the caveat was it was falsely liberating because whilst I felt power and freedom in those rooms with 200 people who spoke the same language, take me to any other community, the old Ambika, the old ways of being showed up, you know, which is I'm going to be nice. I'm going to say nice stuff, whatever it takes to just fit in because I haven't yet mustered the courage to be truly authentic. Right. And all the identities of leader, coach, professional, I had by then left the medical biomedical world. I was working in impact investing. My role was in business development, raising capital, right? All those different titles felt like kick ass. And then I became mom. And Nancy, that was the stripping of all identities. And I had never anticipated it. And nobody told me that is the friggin' experience. And that first year, and first of all, we had a miscarriage in 2013. So we had been trying for four years to have a kid, right? You think there's some awareness of the emotional journey mom goes through, but no, there was zero awareness, right? You think from my background, there's some awareness of emotional background that women and new moms go through. No, I was just pure in the medical, by medical space. I was one of the last ones for my mates to have babies. You think somebody would have talked about it, but nobody did. And it was a shock to the system when I am going, not a shock, it was like a, a gradual departure and some sort of anxiety that started kicking in in my final month just before maternity leave. And then I said to the to a senior member in my organization, feeling a lot of anxiety and the more I'm starting to unpack what it is, it's coming with some embarrassment because I feel I'm going to give up being coach, leader, my job title, all of it just to be mom and why it was so embarrassing was because my mom and all my aunts and all generations prior were full-time moms and that was the greatest gift I had growing up in Zambia where my mom was at every assembly we had three fresh meals a day right there was no leftovers it was just such a privilege to grow up having a full-time mom yet for our deficient identities another title is needed to seek fulfillment and that uh, and that being taken away was was painful, right? And and all uh, my senior colleague said was, "This is this Ambika speaking." And once you have your baby, you another Ambika will be birthed. And truly, once I became a mom, Nancy, all those other titles were so friggin' irrelevant. Truly irrelevant, right? And that sounds cliche. But it wasn't irrelevant, like, yay, I want to be mom for the rest of my life. It was challenging because it was like, how the hell do you be mom? Like, I don't know how to be mom. How do you deal with somebody depending on you 200%? I just got my life sorted. I finally got everything under control. I finally stopped hiding, right? I finally stopped being afraid. And now this person needs me awake and asleep 24-7. How the hell do you deal with it? I felt like I was back in kindergarten and it was unsettling and disruptive in all ways possible. But that was the beginning of discovering truly who am I? And it's been the discovery since 2015. But we really, uh, I think as a family, have delved deep into spirituality, into studying ourselves, um, to really be able to coach others around this whole concept of who am I? And, And where we have just pinned our entire self-worth to some really finite limiting identities that do us the greatest disservices where we want to get people out of those caves and experience the limitlessness that we are born to experience. Wow. 
Do you think normally when people find themselves in us, either whatever spiritual journey, because we all evolve, uh, whether we like it or not, it's just 10 years from now, we're going to evolve three years from now, whatever part, whenever we get our birthdays, we're evolving. Do you think if Ronnie didn't evolve with you, do you think that that your dynamic would work well? That's such a great question. The reason why I'm asking that because uh, for couples, sometimes some people find themselves before their their partner, and to be able to work on yourself, and do you see your partner at a certain point? Or do you think it would have worked? I love that you asked the question. So firstly, I want to like really um, from everything that we've studied in spirituality. There's a core fundamental belief, which is every single person and especially our most intimate relationships mirror our internal universe, right? Our inner universe. And they're all almost um, awakeners for us to get to see the resistance, the unhealed and disowned parts within us. So that's the first thing. Secondly, when I started the personal development work, I was really clear my life was pretty sorted. But I'm doing it because I can bring my husband into the room who's the one who really needs this work, right? I mean, it took the guy freaking eight years to propose, right? So in my head, it was very clear that he needed the work. I was absolutely fine. And truly, Nancy, for the first year, the programs we did, right? First of all, we did different programs. Like we didn't sit in, we didn't do the same uh, courses. We sat in different uh, weekends and different programs. And part of it was probably subconscious, which is, I don't want him to see the ugly parts of me, right? But equally, I was very clear in taking notes of the parts I knew exactly he needed, right? And then I had this advanced technology and I'd go and say, this is what's wrong with you, right? Forget like applying it to myself. It was all evidence to go and take and show him how he's so broken and vice versa. And then finally, in like August 2013, we did the first course together which again, the universe worked out amazingly because it was when we did have a miscarriage and it was when we got the best coaching and it was when we got to experience our most rawest, vulnerable sides going through this trauma that was perhaps the the biggest we'd experienced together as a couple, but personally also emotionally, physically. And then uh, there on, we started doing programs together. But then equally, Nancy, we would sit next to each other and like elbow each other and say, this is for you. Listen in, you know, you're the problem. They're, they're talking about you. And um, and the program facilitators are so wise. Like they know this from 100 people. They know human psychology and they always say, by the way, if you're sat next to your partner and you're nudging them, stop doing it. Right. And we'd always laugh. But that was us. Right. So and why I share that is because it wasn't like us holding hands, stepping in together not at all it was disruptive it was like throwing our marriage in a washing machine witness it go round and round parts we didn't even know we were dealing with the breakdowns we didn't even know we were dealing with were all being spat out and like in our face and like a gigantic spotlight shone on them and it was it was so uncomfortable right uh, and it's going through those storms where we discover ourselves Right. And we did this seven month leadership program where like the carpet of our marriage was just ripped off and all the gunk underneath was there, like the past, the stuff we never shared with each other, just so much. Right. And one of the biggest things I got was coming from this, the sense of deficiency that we all have as human beings. For me, it was how do I get to be the perfect girlfriend, perfect fiance, the perfect wife. 
And it was paralyzing because in that space, he never got to ever meet the free, authentic me. The one my best mates get to see when I'm crazy and laughing out crazy and dancing crazy. It was just this, this image, this personality who wants to be the best wife. And there's no room for connectedness in that because it's me versus my head and how I think I should be, right? And all of that got rocked. And there were just so many breakthroughs, but it all was us working on ourselves and me getting that however he shows up is entirely my own creation because of my inner unhealed parts and my inner deficiencies. And from going, from thinking I'm way more involved, evolved, Uh, and awakened this guy I then went to spaces of holy cow he's getting more advanced and he's growing more spiritually and like oh my god FOMO kicking in and and just so much of that when I became a mom and then I had to like go on maternity leave then that um, that mindset really took over and so we just find ourselves oscillating and now I think I'm really clear we have um, similar belief systems and similar values but our approach to spirituality at times will be different we'll read different books at times at times we'll read same books we'll go to similar spiritual camps at times or different rooms and we each discover in our own ways our own self and our own identities and in that space um the marriage is constantly being created newly so why i share that that entire picture to answer your question about what do you do when your partner is not on track you want to consider the best poster for anybody in your life to participate in anything is you as long as you have an ulterior motive which is heck my partner needs it because they're broken as hell right and as long as we look at somebody in a diminished way that you may not say it but your energy speaks it your vibe is often louder than your words and people know when they feel experience lesser than another person's energy like you just to you and everybody listening in i'm sure you can all recall a moment when you walk into a room and feel unwelcomed or not really loved or not really seen and vice versa when you walk into a room and you feel like the most important person because you received with such love and so to everybody that feels i am moving faster than my partner you want to consider that connectedness to yourself is purely so you can serve your partner with more love it frees you up to love people unconditionally rather than to only love them when they evolve at the same pace as you so it's okay for someone just to evolve by themselves and then they'll be the picture for the other person 100% we're all on our own journeys right and we're all on our own journeys all on our own spiritual paths and uh one of the biggest misconceptions around marriage is it's a place where we get to you know receive happiness where we get to be loved but actually marriage is a spiritual partnership from how i see it and what i've studied about it which is where you get to discover yourself through the service of another and it's so friggin hard to bring that perspective cuz everything we're exposed to if you're like me you grew up watching fairy tales then bollywood movies romance was very set boy who's girl marriage is all about romance girl gets 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 you know receives 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 happiness 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 and that's not marriages and a lot of relationships break down because there's this deep misalignment around understanding that a marriage is not about you know 
seeking and pursuing happiness, marriage is about discovery of self through service of another and owning your own spiritual growth. And the more you get to discover your your truest identity, your most authentic self, the more free you are to love people without any conditions. So, um, doctor, you got married in the UK and you guys lived there. How were you able to juggle? Uh, because as a mother, when I became, when I got married, I got married here in the US and I, seven years later, I had my daughter and then my son later. Uh, the first time I, I had a child, I couldn't, I didn't get informed. Like you said, when you become a mother, you change completely. I changed completely. And my attention span, to be honest, became towards that little one. He, she depends on me fully for everything. And we kind of had our own roles in the way we manage our household, in the way we manage our relationship. Our relationship dynamic changed. And for me, as a woman, I never felt the footing. I never got the grasp of managing my career, motherhood, myself, and being a wife. So I lost myself, I, I felt like. How did you manage that? One of the, so I can relate to that 200%, right? And uh, my greatest um, crutch, if you like, was um, when my first, bo- so when my firstborn was, I don't know, in his, probably in the fourth trimester, so when you're just under three months, I um, started meditating. And um, there was a there's a WhatsApp group called the 5:30 a.m. club or 5 a.m. club. And uh, but when a friend invited me to that WhatsApp group, I was like, "Are you freaking kidding me? Like I barely get any sleep. This kid is awake every hour. Now you want me up at 5 a.m. to be part of this meditation?" <laughs> and uh, I joined it anyways. And I discovered that there are mostly uh, um, British Asian moms on that chat, and many didn't wake up at 5 a.m. But it was a community to kind of just grow and share and many of them entrepreneurs and it was amazing um but there i started exploring okay what does meditation look like i started guided meditation five minutes was the maximum i could fit in and there were five minute guided meditations that worked well for me but over time nancy five minutes became 10 10 became 15 20 and then after like two or three years it became 30 minutes i learned different meditation techniques and it just has become a non-negotiable so that was one the second has been journaling Journaling is my, and I don't have my journal over here, but it's typically like either here in the office or next to my bedside, but it is my healer. And what journaling does is your conscious mind is the thoughts you're aware of, right? But once you start writing them down about whatever, how great or not great your day is, or how scared you've been, or the guilt that you must carry, or whatever else it is, the fatigue, once you start writing that, after five or so minutes, you'll shift from your conscious mind to your subconscious mind. And it's almost like your inner authentic self is communicating through to you via that pen. And and you're writing stuff, which is almost healing you because you're hearing from your inner self. And it's happened to me multiple times. And I didn't need to be a specialist. It was simply just journaling all my thoughts. And even getting to put stuff on paper was a breakthrough because... You hear about all these crazy moments. Like somebody picked up my diary and read all my crazy thoughts, right? So I was like, okay, I'm not going to do it. So I started off just with gratitude journaling for like, God, forever, for years plus. 
I would just pick up my journal and every day write down stuff I'm grateful for and I'm grateful for and I'm grateful for. And I wouldn't write the the unpleasant things. I was like, I'm just going to do a gratitude flood in my mind. And that's great. Except sometimes you do need the emotions to be released. And I learned writing about them is equally important. So journaling became the second thing, meditation, journaling. And then we have um, both Ronnie and I part- like studied this 18-month spirituality course. We studied the Bhagavad Gita, which is this, it's actually on my desk over here. It's just this book of infinite, timeless wisdom. It's, it doesn't really have a religious take on it. It's more just the study of life applicable to every human being. So Einstein, Walt Smith, numerous, numerous people have read it and you just discover yourself in the journey. It's all around um, optimization of being human. Um, and then we've, we've just con- continued to work in FedBanker, serve, coach, transform others, work in the leadership front. Um, and then how I weave motherhood into all of that was also discovery. But I, my, my go-to place and my gurus are my books. Right, that has become a very significant shift post motherhood. I probably didn't read as much pre motherhood, but post motherhood, my desk is filled with books on spirituality, on self discovery, on the mind body connection, and it's just, it's just incredible work out there by the likes of Marion Williamson or Gary Zukov, who talks about spiritual partnerships or Gabby Bernstein, or Shifali, Dr. Shifali Sabri. And all of them, Nancy, unpack and peel away the crazy identities that we are not. Um, and then I run this healthy relationships program with the banker, which truly is about connecting with the authentic self and, and building that bridge back home to your inner true self. Wow. Because the thing is, we don't get that much help when we are outside our countries as immigrants. And as we migrate to other countries, we also have our self-identity and discovering ourselves in those uh, in those times. And as our life change, I don't know. Everybody has time to sit down. And uh, I'm I'm big on journaling. I used to journal all my thoughts. I just started uh, gratitude journaling not too long ago. But I used to write all my feelings in the book. And like you said, I would feel a sense of relief. It was like my therapy. So I would write all of my feelings, how I was feeling that day. Like I had highs. I had to throw it out. (laughs) It was a lot. Because sometimes I would go back in and look. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but um, it is it's a great release. <laughs> it is. So everything I felt about everything, I'll just write it down. But when I didn't, I I saw the difference in my in my stress levels. My stress levels would be really skyrocketing. Also, gratitude journaling, I love it. I found I find myself now writing so much, and thanks to you guys, actually, even uh, emphasizing on it, journaling. If you don't know already, I'm in the 90 day challenge at Feedbanker. So, <laughs> and journaling is part of it. Gratitude journaling, I love it. I every night it's the last thing I do. Gratitude journaling because before I was like I was in such a dark space. I'm like, what am I what, what, what am I thankful for today? I don't want. So I started to write even like two things, three things. But I started prior to joining um, 90 Day Challenge. But now it's like a reminder to myself. I'm like, okay, 
I got to do it every day. I was not consistent with it. Now I'm more consistent with it. Every single night I do it. And I find myself writing three pages. (laughs) (laughs) What would you tell those parents that are constantly saying, I'm busy, I don't have help as much as I would get if I were back home, let's say in Africa, um, and just juggling so much? on their plate because we all juggle a lot especially for you guys that are married so I would say um, a few things number one is in your question you kind of posed what part of the problem is is when people say I don't have help as much as back home that instant comparison is an energy drainer because you're never then fully present right what you appreciate currently appreciates Right. So when you currently get to be with your situation and circumstances as they are, you have the freedom to create what you can do with that environment. But as long as we're stuck in, darn, I'm here and I don't have any support, it's always going to come from a space of scarcity, energy, your energy vibrations drop. There's a sense of just negative energy within you. Your mind is not optimal. So your ability to be productive is also diminished. And therefore, fatigue is a natural byproduct of that, right? Beyond the actual work that you have to do. So that's the first thing is park aside the comparison because it really serves your purpose. The second is to, uh, and I'll give you an example in real-time life, right? Real-time life. So when we were in, in London, that was life. I left Zambia when I was 15. So the context of ever coming back here, or like what it was when I was a kid was so gone. It was a distant memory. I was coming from New Zealand. New Zealand, we did everything ourselves. So being in London and doing everything ourselves was the norm. Not having grandparents, not having any family members around was the norm. We had amazing friends. And the more we delved into the person development work, our, our soul tribes got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the reality is, as a new mom, like you're in your own headspace. So even if the universe is offering help, you can't see it. You don't know how to ask for it because we're so caught up in our in our own traps. What do I mean by that? So when our firstborn came into our life, my mom had come from New Zealand for the first two months and did everything, everything, Nancy, every single thing at home. I purely focused on generating breast milk and serving the baby and trying to figure out like what happened to my life, right? Like I'm up every hour of the night. Psychologically, my my headspace was just so different and it was so much uncomfortableness. And there was like uh, late night fevers with just excess milk being produced, like so many different spaces the human body goes through. And his mom did everything, but the pitfall there was mom did everything mom's way, which was immaculate right she goes back to new zealand then there's a gaping vacuum number one number two for me subconsciously i've witnessed a mom uh living her house and creating her home with immaculateness so for me i registered that as i have to do the dishes every day i have to clean house every day like i have to do everything i was doing pre-baby post-baby and because mom was able to do that if i'm not that means i'm not coping and when you're in a constant pursuit of not ever experiencing not being enough, you know, that deficiency uh, plug in everybody's subconscious mind, when you're trying to never be not enough, you will do everything to avoid that to the extent of burnout, right? 
And I was just getting so exhausted, so exhausted. The concept of help was non-existent. I was just exhausted with our new life until a dear friend of mine came and I put a long post on Facebook, a real vulnerable share. I was like, my mom left. I'm so depressed. I, I can't even leave the apartment building because the baby takes, like cries the minute I put him in the pram. Like, I don't know how to leave the front door, right? Fitbanker had just started. So it was like a second baby, a startup and then and a, a a two-month-old baby, right? It was, everything was unfamiliar in our life. And this dear friend came seeing that long-ass post with, with tears, snots, and everything on it. And she was like, ditch the friggin' dishes. If your clothes aren't done, leave them. If your laundry's not done, leave it. Like, if you want to rest, rest. If your baby needs you, just be with it. It's okay. There's nobody judging us as new moms if you haven't done the friggin' dishes. There's no dish police coming. Right. And somebody's saying something that sounds so ridiculously obvious, but we need to be told that because we are a generation where we want to do it all and we want to do it all by ourselves. Right. Those are two very deadly combinations. And then we walk around with labels of super mom, but they're actually, that's a very toxic mindset to have to even per, like aspire to be super mom. You don't want to be super mom, right? You want to just be mom. Yeah. And, uh, that in itself was a shift initially. And then my husband and I would like have gazillion arguments over, heck, you're not helping with the dishes. I need help now, I got a baby. And he was like, well, you don't like doing dishes. I don't like doing dishes. How about we just get some help? And got and we just got somebody, like there are so many cleaning agencies, which is a big pattern interrupt for us to come just do like clean up the kitchen once a, or the home once a week for two hours. Something that simple, thanks to my husband, like introducing it became a game changer. Right. And then when my second son was born, Nancy, I discovered yet another level of breakthrough because everybody's like, oh, wait till we have the second born. Then it gets really full on. And we're like, okay, let's just see. And what, by then we discovered is everything is creation. Right. So even when my first, when our first born was turning two, everybody's like, oh, terrible twos, watch out. And we're like, we're going to call it terrific twos. Everything is created in language. All right. And sure, he had tantrums. Sure, he got sick. Sure, we spent many a nights in AE. And you just get on with it, right? But when comparison and complaint kicks in, it is an energy drainer. That's where fatigue comes in, right? And you are busy because you're busy in your head thinking about what you need to do, what you haven't done and comparing to somebody else versus just being present in the moment. When my second born was born, he was born during peak lockdown, May 2020, right? In March, my mom was supposed to come from New Zealand again, borders shut. We're like, okay, it's probably gonna be shut for three weeks. We're like, what is this virus? Nobody had any friggin' idea borders would be shut for two years. Um, he gets born again, like the universe has this plan at home, right? I couldn't, I didn't make it to the Uber or parked outside. He just, he literally like swam out in 17 minutes from like active labor to being birthed. Nobody at home other than Ronnie and me and the midwife on the phone. And, uh, and then we we're like, wow, this is, this is incredible. Whole new discovery, but there was no mom to cook, right? And what happened? Nancy, because we surrendered to the universe and got that we are social beings and that every part of our success comes down to collaboration and partnership with others. We had friends who asked us whether they can deliver food and we just said yes and then kind of just left it because that's a nice thing to do and be grateful for friends. These amazing friends created their own WhatsApp group and for a whole friggin' month, every day, food was left on our doorstep, postpartum Indian food, and they didn't enter, right? Because it was like height of COVID. So they would just leave it 
And then from their car with their masks and gloves, wave goodbye, and we bring in the basket. And it was miraculous. And I think I healed way faster in my second and first pregnancy, just with the energy of gratitude from the food. Um, it was is miraculous. So what I would really want to say to every mom, and why I gave these two di- distinct examples of first pregnancy versus second is, if ever you think you're alone, you want to pause. Number one, literally list everything in your life that you're grateful for. And number two, reach out and ask for help. Your friends, your neighbors, whoever, will be really grateful to help. We just don't ask because we don't want to occur as weak, as a burden, as a dis- inconvenience to anybody else. And that mindset is a toxic mindset. I have been there and I've done that and I've parked it aside because it does not serve me. Well said. I want to go back to the six years apart. (laughs) 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 When when I I had a conversation with Rani, he told me, oh, we're six years apart. Before I came here, I left my boyfriend and we were doing long-distance relationship for six months. So (laughs) six years to me was like mind-boggling. I'm like, oh my God, six years. How did you guys manage? Because there's a lot of those relationships uh, for us immigrants around the world. How did you guys manage? How was the communication? How did you guys keep up? So that's the question I realized I had digressed from. Um, But basically, how how do we manage... So number one, like I said, it wasn't ever planned. Number two, calling car. Number two, emails, right? Emails was the mode of communication. But it was kind of just going with the flow. And I think uh, while Ronnie was kind of just being initially casual, for me, I definitely had my Bollywood version of it, which was like this this hopeless romantic or this hopeful romantic, however you want to look, look at it. But life was simple for me. And there was just a compatibility, a humor, a way of connecting that I just hadn't experienced prior to that. And and then and then it was also riddled with its own real dark spaces and tests around insecurity. And uh, me leaving New Zealand, going to Australia, him leaving Zambia, going to London. It was like, what? He's going to find somebody else. And London's full of the most hottest, beautiful chicks, like deep insecurity. But then insecurity had nothing to do with him or him and my dynamic and everything to do with just that deficiency we have within ourselves yeah. right which is probably experienced in other spaces in our life and so how do we keep in touch in, in archaic ways right like initially emails and then calling cards and then uh, smartphones came to existence and then nancy i vividly recall the first time we had a skype conversation i was in australia and i saw his face on those cameras you used to stick onto your yeah. laptops and i was like oh my it was just sheer joy um, and then we try and meet once a year and, uh, and he came to New Zealand, he came to Australia, but it was, it definitely was challenging and it kind of just, the days and the months rolled on, but we, we kept in touch. And then, you know, when you're in touch almost every day, there's an attachment that comes into existence with this individual and this energy field. And, yeah. um, there was, there were so many moments that were, that were being, um, channeled by fear rather than by joy, like the fear then of losing him, the fear then of screwing up, the fear of not being the perfect girlfriend, like all those crazy uh, spaces we go through in relationships, right? Which which were there, but then at the same time, 
when we talk we would only hear our own perspectives of our lives right which was always painted in a good perspective because it was our version of our life <laughs> right and then when i went to london it was amazing nancy but to meet after work and go for a movie something as simple or go for dinner was like a whole different experience and then to see him interact with his mates or just there's so many different dimensions that came to existence other than a phone call or a facetime conversation but i feel you know it was it was there were many uh, challenging moments and there was many amazing moments and it was just when i think about it i think at times we don't even know what the real driving factor is but there's always some driving factor there's always like some bigger universe cosmos at play yeah and uh i think for me i i keep life simple love always guides me and so it got us to where we are so in hindsight we can say um we did the 6 years long distance got through it got married we have two kids and then we also met in zambia we used to go to karate classes when we were 6 and his version is heck i don't remember you at all you've been stalking me since then and my version is i kicked his ass which is why he doesn't remember me right we have our own versions of it but um but that's life right like in in hindsight you can draw the dots and connect them so beautifully but when you're actually living through it it is it's discovering every moment or like either you're either driven by love or fear yeah oh listen every relationship has its own ups and downs and there's so many people that are uh, somewhat in your shoes that are trying to you know bring their loved one maybe they are they left their wife they left their girlfriend back home it's just the way to navigate it while they are back home cuz i remember myself like i'd be looking nice in those six months i'm like oh i wish my boyfriend was here to wish to tell me how great yeah. i look and how <laughs> just you know the hugs and we were together practically every single day when i was back home yeah. so it was such a huge change for me to be here and i was like oh my god i had to i guess put, put my relationship to the side because at the time it was calling cards only that's what we did and that would be calling cards at home on Sundays when i came home from work but other than that it was just the whole week i would not talk to him and then i'll come home talk to him on sunday and then the calling card only gives you like 10 minutes 20 minutes <laughs> and then he keeps yeah. buying the the cards oh, and yeah. oh my gosh there is uh, one thing i want to add there to nancy if i may Please. It was long distance. There's so many um there's so many myths that get created. So for example, long distance doesn't work or it does work, right? And it's so easy when we're in that space of uncertainty to buy into any one of those beliefs and make them our truth. And all I want to just say to anybody currently in a long distance relationship or even if you're under the same roof, roof, the relationship will be whatever you create it to be. And the worst thing we can do to ourselves is step into somebody else's template. Right and I say that having lived yeah. that my very close friend was in a long distance relationship before I I got into one and I just totally mocked him I was like how friggin bored are you why would you get into a long distance relationship who does that what kind of loser are you right poor guy and uh, and then fast forward like a few months I never knew I'd be in the same situation right but um you will hear all versions of it I had guys saying why are you like with somebody on the other end of the world there's such hot guys here and who would express interest And it's so easy to be swayed 
to, to either side and I think you always want to listen to your core because your core will always keep you grounded and at times the world will tell you you know leave that person they're not great for you or whatever and even in those instances your inner voice if you ever pause to listen will guide you in either direction right but you know why I just want to flag this is because distance or our proximity actually doesn't necessarily always become the single factor whether a relationship works or not there's so many other factors to it right but um the clarity we bring in the communication and the creation we bring in relationships is now i'm discovering is actually really really important nice i know you're an expert on relationships so i have a few more questions <laughs> when i came here what part of my culture shock was how close kids are with their parents and how they interact with their parents. It's something that I admired because I didn't grow up that way with my mom or even mm-hmm. my grandmother. I didn't experience my mom because I was being raised by my grandmother and I experienced my mom very little after I graduated from high school. I spent uh, time in boarding school. So after that, we I started to experience my mom even she traveled a lot. So to make a living for us to experience her out experience her in bits and pieces of her so if someone had to ask me do you really know your mother i don't really i have to ask so many questions to get to know like i went home 2016 to visit and i was asking my grandmother how my mom was when she was little boy i was so surprised with so many things that she had to say oh my god your mom was so talkative was this the dynamic that they have here is i think it's somewhat how i'm raising my kids to be so close to my kids where is the line where like your kids don't become they or they don't assume they are your friends and where does your the parenting start You know, um so I can't say I'm an expert at conscious parenting. I'm very much a student in that field, but having studied that, what I would say is something I'm discovering and it's it's you know, a lot of people in the conscious parenting space um articulate this so well, which is one of the biggest myths parents have is they think parenting is about the child, but actually parenting is about the parent. and where and what i mean by that is every single thing you experience in the formative years of being a parent has everything to do with the universe saying here on a silver platter are is our spotlights we're going to shine on where you need to grow which is how kids will show up and we are not taught that because we're just literally we absorb life the way we we do being human and so unconsciously we just mirror parenting styles of what our parents were or grandparents were or society was right not and so if a kid is being disruptive and naughty we'll have our set we don't even know it but we pull out old generational ways of dealing with that telling the kid off reprimanding them punishing them time out whatever it is or sitting them down and talking to them but these are all learned behaviors and unconscious parenting right or when you use spirituality it's actually you know um and i did a lot of volunteering work with chinmay mission where you get trained to work with um these young souls who who aren't vessels to be stuffed with our opinions our ways our conformities our societal limitations but are vessel their lamps to be lit and how do you do that so if somebody's being super disruptive 
then how it's all energy so how do you channel that energy through communication that's encouraging so that the kid wants to shift from disruptive to engaging and we have to educate ourselves to do that right we get a license to get cars we get licenses for our qualification degrees for our jobs but we just become parents and the grandest disservice we do to ourselves our mental well-being the kid who's the soul who's chosen us as their primary earth guardians and then to the society at large is simply try and suppress these limitless souls and then chip away their wings and then try and make them a version a mini version of us our dreams are incompletion and the fine line comes in there are boundaries to be created right you will stop a kid from going touching the hot stove right or putting their fingers in sockets or beating another kid or whatever else it is right but how you communicate what there is to communicate is what i'm discovering is the biggest game changer when my kids are in that hyper disruptive energy state and i get angry which i have a zillion times that negative energy when met with that negative force only amplifies the negativity in the room but when the kid is that energy i've learned shift the energy and come with a with a space of compassion right you need a hug you need to be loved or whatever else it is it completely dissipates and dissolves that negative energy and there's a space of communication that opens up right and i'm still very very much learning that style but i think i would park the the dance or attachment we have at parents to be friends or to be liked or not be our super strict grandparents or parents and simply just look at what's in the best interest of the child in this moment by getting your identity out of the way coming back to the identity conversation like getting your likes and dislikes your limiting beliefs your fears out of the way and educate yourself on conscious parenting and there's a lot of amazing resources out there right dr shafali's uh sabri's work on um she she has a book called awaken family there's a radical awakening there's just remarkable stuff she talks about and and it's really simple even if you've never done anything in your life before in the personal development world pick up those there's and they're not about how do you as an individual move with your family become more spiritually awakened or evolve it's at a whole human race perspective how do we speak to kids and relate to them like they are our awakeners mm-hmm. and everything they do the good and the not so good mirrors our own internal state and that's where we got to do the work. Wow. No, I love that you mentioned we get a license to get a driver's uh to get a driver's license in order for us to drive. But then we just become parents. And then <laughs> Yeah. Wow. What do you think is uh I guess um the best way to self-discover yourself? Um what we have discovered with the banker is what we've coined as the ECH right which is the environment matters massively community plays just as important role and they both together then pave the path to new habits right and so you want to like we didn't just pick up a spiritual book off the shelf right we immersed ourselves in active study circles and then active programs and then invested hours of seminars and then 
coaching and then assisting and volunteering and just constant self-discovery being you know in the field of seva or service across different organizations and what's amazing sometimes nancy is the more like gandhi says this to discover yourself lose yourself in the service of others and that was truly our experience in the last decade in london and to experience authentic relationships where everybody is calling themselves out rather than what you see in the ordinary world which is like guard up and blame the world for your life not working so liberating and my stand is every human being gets to experience that for themselves where it is a breakdown you get to take full ownership of what you thought your role was in that ask for forgiveness hit the sack every day having asked for forgiveness right so number one is out to get a coach right immerse yourself in communities and circles there's a lot happening out there like for example with food banker we've for the last four or five years we've been doing monthly treks one of the biggest intention is community coming together human beings getting out of their current environment at home office pub restaurant you know similar places go out there and connect with nature it is totally a mental healer your body realigns to its authentic nature being out in nature right it's just miraculous so all your environment go out for walks immerse yourself in treks right we have another trek coming up in london if you was there and then we do annual climbs and summits up mountains right but there is a uh, book clubs there's dinner salons there's so much happening out there get yourself on event brighter meetups or wherever else but take the action right sitting at home in inaction and then wanting life to be different is the biggest disservice we do to ourselves right and what you can do is you do your best and then the universe unfolds the way it does yeah. um community is massive and then ultimately it is the investment in self like to study to read whether it's podcasts or books or courses but there's a if you come to think about it Nancy our academic education actually ends at university so probably around the age of 21 22 for most human beings unless you go and do doctors like me and finish in your late 20s right um but we finish at that young age and then expect that academic education to get us through the next five or six or seven decades it's ridiculous it tr- and sure you get some professional training but who the hell is training us to be humans who the hell is training us to be in harmonious relationships who the hell is training us to create just bonds of oneness collaboration partnership empowering each other speaking to people's greatness it's not taught and it, that is where this whole industry of personal development which is as large as any other mainstream industry has now is now exploding because people are seeing that these hard skills through academia and our professional lives are falling short and relationships are falling apart and this human centric approach where we see the spiritual being is actually needed and urgent and important um very well said anything else i didn't ask you that you would like to share i would say to sum up given we covered so much um <laughs> is for all the viewers listening in I really hope today's conversation has sparked and plugged or planted a seed of curiosity for you to ask yourself who am I where am I headed to and who do I need to serve what do I need to say and to whom and if you can just sit in silence or by yourself for 5 minutes a day 
and ask yourself these questions, you will start to see answers show up in different ways, which is just miraculous in itself. That's one. And the second thing is, you truly want to consider that our identities, whilst we think are associated with our country of origin, our continent of origin, the color of our skin, our ethnicity, our gender, our qualifications, our titles, our family status, our financial status. Ultimately, actually, all of those things, those titles are disposable. They're dispensable. They will be stripped off from time to time, right? And then you experience a sense of being naked. And in those moments of feeling naked, like a nobody, is when you get to discover your true self, which is unwavering, which is consistent. And our core authentic self is an expression of love. Our core essence is to be love. And there's this, this steady state of inner joy, of power, of freedom. And in that space, you can connect with any human being. You can experience the love you currently may experience for your best mate with even a stranger because the lines of difference and the lines of judgment and the lines of discrimination just cease to exist. And so my request to every single person is please put yourself on the path of self-discovery. It's the greatest thing you can do to yourself and everybody else that you touch and impact. And uh, that's precisely the mission and the path we're on. Wow. <sighs> Amazing. Amazing. What do you think you're called to do on this planet? For me, uh, it becomes more and more clear. It is to have every single human being experience reconnecting with their authentic self. How do you do that? You really unshackle yourself from memories of who you think you are, past identities, uh, past suffering. And we don't even know we're living into past. We're just repeating, recycling memories again and again and again. We may have different people, different countries, different continents, different jobs, but our way of being the same in those spaces, right? And so how do you unshackle from the past where you get to really meet your whole self in this moment is extraordinary. And for every human being to be able to show up in this moment, because it's the only moment we have as whole, as complete, experiencing just abundance of love is my personal mission, right? I'm very much on the journey of that. And that's my stance and my, my calling and commitment to every human being. Beautiful. I ask this to everybody. At this point in your life, you've traveled quite a bit and you've experienced quite a bit. You're back home. Have you finally found your concrete pastures? So I would say uh, it's an ongoing discovery, number one. Uh, Concrete pastures for me, and I was just reflecting on this yesterday, and I, I don't think I ever asked you about the name, but uh, I feel nothing in life is concrete anymore, right? And my goal and objective in life is to keep flowing like a river. And the less attachment and the less concreteness uh, I experience in life, the more freedom I experience. Uh, but not because the, there's, the flow represents absence of commitment. I feel the flow gives us the more, gives us just limitless power to adapt to any environment, right? Um, the resistance we experience to new environments, new situations is 
is much to do with the discomfort and pain and suffering we experience. And I find great guidance from nature where a river will continue to flow no matter what comes its way. A boulder will come on the path it's up along its bed and it will pivot and ultimately reach the ocean. So to answer your question, I feel home right now is where the heart is. Um, and uh, discovery of flow is most certainly a space I am in right now. So right now, I'm totally at home. And this moment is truly all that matters. I'm connecting with an amazing Nancy. Nice. Last question. I know I keep saying last question. Because <laughs> <laughs> as you talk, things come in my mind. And I'm like, oh, they want to ask her. I want to ask her again. <laughs> what do you leave by? I leave everybody with a quote. What gets you going? What motivates you? What motivates me is probably, I think right now, my um, my family and then my the people we serve through Fedbanka. I am just sharing um, earlier today on another on another session where I have I really get it now that I have to be my most optimal self um, because if I don't, then my family experience such a suboptimal version of me and. And that does them the greatest disservice. And likewise, people who are banking on me to show up and make a difference to them. And equally, at times when I say that, a lot of people are like, hey, what about you? How are you fueling your own self? And to do that, uh, spirituality, my daily meditation is a non-negotiable. But also, I do get myself a coach from time to time, right? I have my my trusted community where when my head's in a total swirl. I will get on the call and clear myself because it's important. Right. And we talk about different stages of consciousness where the lowest stage is the state of victim consciousness, where we experience life happening to me. And then life is happening for me. You get everything is a spiritual teaching. If you just pause and listen and get to something for you to learn. And when I'm standing in that victim consciousness state, the time has gone from like forever days, moments to just now it's a game I play. Like, how do I how do I get myself out of this? in like 90 seconds or, or or a few minutes because it's not people, it's not circumstances, it's totally an internal trigger and that's what I got to heal and shine light on. And so what gets me out of bed, what gets me motivated, what gets me to show up is just this calling, which is um, I'm here to have everybody get that they've got the sun within them. The sun's always shining within them is just clouded by these identities, these false identities that are finite and are like shackles to their feet. So it's time to shed them all. Nice. Uh, you've given us so much insight. You have, you be, uh, uh, you've already shifted my mind in in the direction that I want to see myself in my next relationship also. <laughs> I'm going to put it out in the universe. And, uh, so many people in relationships are going to shift in their relationships, listening to you and what you've been able to pour into our community. I appreciate you for being here. It's been an honor to have you. I've been looking forward to you coming on and I definitely wanted you to share with us uh, your knowledge, your wisdom that you have because I already know what you poured into me even the first time I spoke to you and I know everybody is going to resonate with a lot of the things that you've been able to share with us. Your story is very powerful and I appreciate you so much. Amazing. 
Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you for this opportunity. I love that we got to connect, got to speak, and here's to just making a difference together. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. Thank you again for lending us your ears. It's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer. You can continue to support us by liking, sharing, and following us on our social media pages. The links are all in the show notes. We have so many exciting projects and ventures in store for you. Until next time, keep dreaming. Born and